Karen and the way that she's unpacked a download from you and had that heart-to-heart connection and made that time. Father, we're really hungry to know of more of your heart in this season today and in this moment. And Father, we just bless Karen to you know, challenge us so that we can be equipped more when we go out um, in the workplace or in our families and other relationships, we can just bring your love and, and share. So we just really bless, bless Karen to, to deliver and to, to preach and to operate from a place of rest. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you. Thank you. Can I just ask for this light to be put on? Is that okay? Thanks very much. That's great. I can read my Bible a bit better then. Thank you. Right. um, Later on this evening, we're going to be sharing communion. And um, Heather asked if I would actually share on covenant and communion. We've just been um, doing covenant in the um, Kingdom Life School. And it's something that perhaps isn't taught very much in churches but it's something that is really important that we grasp what covenant is, what our relationship with God is as a covenant partner. So I want to try and just go over a few things with you tonight. A lot of it you probably know, but it's always good to remind yourself. So I want to just um, be able to um, encourage you to think of God as, a, as your covenant partner, a God who is so committed to you that he paid the ultimate for you and he gave his life for you. So I want to start in Luke 22. Um, So I think it's going to come up. Luke 22, verses 14 to 20. And I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. Then at the proper time, Jesus and the 12 apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said... I have looked forward to this hour with deep longing, anxious to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat it again until it comes to fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and when he had given thanks for it, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had thanked God for it, he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This wine is the token of God's new covenant to save you, an agreement sealed with the blood I will pour out for you. In 1948, there was a new state that was formed, the state of Israel. And a number of events happened at that time. And there's a book that's been written about it called O Jerusalem, and it's an account of um, the different things that happened between um, the Arabs um, who were surrounding Israel and uh, what happened during the war between the Arabs surrounding Israel and the Jewish people. And a true story that is written in this book, I thought I would read out to you now because it, it just really helps with the covenant theme. Just south of Jerusalem, there was a Jewish kibbutz known as Kfar et Etzion, which was isolated and which the main Jewish forces could not protect. This kibbutz was attacked by the Arab Legion, the military force of Jordan, and eventually succumbed to overwhelming military force and was virtually destroyed. Just a handful of Jewish persons were taken prisoner. One of them was a young Jewish woman named Eliza. The Arab soldiers captured her, and as would be almost, I might say, normal in that situation at that time, they regarded her as the legitimate booty of war. They set about to rape her. They were just beginning to tear her clothes off 
when an amazing thing happened. An Arab officer walked up, shot the two soldiers dead, and then pulled a piece of bread out of his pocket, gave it to this Jewish woman and said, eat this. When she'd eaten the bread, he said, now you're under my protection. No one will touch you. Why was she under his protection? Because she'd eaten of his bread. In other words, he'd established a visible covenant relationship with her. And even in the passions of war and of lust, those Arab soldiers respected that covenant relationship between their officer and this young Jewish woman. Those Arab soldiers, and probably most of them were Muslims, had in many ways a much clearer understanding of what it means to break bread than many professing Christians today. Once bread had been broken between that officer and that woman, they were obligated by that sacred covenant symbol not to turn against her, not to abuse her, but to respect that relationship. So, covenant. We don't talk about covenant very much in our culture, but in the Middle East, they do understand it, as has been illustrated by that story. Breaking bread and covenant relationship is something that it is extremely powerful and extremely binding. So, what is covenant? Covenant is a binding agreement between two parties. It's a real binding, binding thing that is very difficult to break. In the Hebrew, it's called, can I have the next slide, Kevin? Thanks. In the Hebrew, it's called berith. And, no, next one. Thank you. And in the Greek, it's diatheki, which actually means to cut covenant. And in the Bible, God talks about making a covenant between himself and his people. In the Latin, the word for covenant is testament, testamentum. Hence, we get Old and New Testament. So the Old Testament is about the Old Covenant, and the New Testament is about the New Covenant. As I said, diatheke actually means to cut covenant. So it's about blood covenant. And a blood covenant between two parties is the closest, the most enduring, the most solemn, and the most sacred of all contracts. It actually cannot be broken. Absolutely cannot be broken. And when you enter into blood covenant with someone, you promise to give them your life, your love, and protection forever till death do you part. Now, those words are probably quite familiar to you because they're used in the marriage ceremony. And perhaps that's the, the most um, obvious uh, idea of covenant that we know of is the marriage covenant between husband and wife. So we promise to give them our life. We promise to love and protect each other forever till death do we part. And actually, while I was um, sitting there in the worship tonight, I actually felt God say something to me about marriage. And I felt that he, what he was saying was actually, I want to um, just bring a word about um, love in marriage. He feels, I feel that what God's saying is that I want to bring something new into marriage relationships. I want to bring something that is so um, loving so unifying, so um, transforming in marriage relationship that actually our marriages are going to be an amazing witness to those people out there. Um, I, want, I feel that God's saying that he wants to speak to people that actually have been damaged by marriage. And I feel that God's saying that he wants to give you hope. He wants to restore that brokenness that you have experienced in marriage. 
in the Bible, covenant is often expressed as a marriage relationship. God talks about a marriage relationship between him and his people. And that's for a reason, <laughs> because we have marriage relationships and we can identify with that in a very real way. And God's saying, actually, my covenant relationship that I make with you is very similar to a covenant relationship that you make with husband and wife. So marriage is forever. Marriage is permanent. Marriage is a contract, and it's a very binding contract. And God says, that is my ideal of covenant. Marriage should not be broken. But there are occasions when it is. Not through perhaps any fault of your own. But God wants to come and he wants to restore that relationship again. And he's saying, I will be your marriage partner. I will fulfill all that you have not experienced from your marriage partner. I will fulfill that with you. Because we are the bride of Christ. Yeah? And our bridegroom has promised to be faithful to us, to protect us, to honor us and to love us, and to be united with us. So I just want to share that, because I think in, I just get a feeling that in this day and age, with all the pressures that are happening in life, that marriages are taking a real hit. And I feel that God's saying that I want to be there right in the middle of your marriage. Just make sure that I am right in the center of your marriage. There is that picture of the three strands, isn't there, the cords, and um, God describes marriage like that. He says, you are united together. And the three chords are you, your partner, and me. And God is in the center of every single marriage. And just keep him there. Just honor him there. Because he will bind it together. So, what I want to do is just describe a little bit about what a covenant relationship looked like to the Hebrews. In the Bible, it's ta almost taken for granted <laughs> that we understand what covenant is, is about. In the Jewish culture, they were really, really familiar with covenant ceremonies. They knew what a covenant ceremony was. So, it's really helpful just to go over what a covenant ceremony involved because it helps us to understand what it's like to be in our covenant relationship with our covenant partner, with God. So the first stage is they would take off their coat. The two parties would come together and usually, actually, it was one very powerful king and one perhaps not so powerful, perhaps quite lowly. So one, one party was quite a lot more powerful than the other party. Sometimes they were a bit, bit more even, like Jonathan and David. But usually it was between a powerful partner and a not so powerful partner. So the first thing they would do was they would take off their coat or their robe and they would put it round the other party. And the robe represented the person. So as I took off my robe, I was taking off myself and I was putting it around my partner. And what I was say, would be saying would be, I'm giving you myself. My total being and my life, I pledge to you. It covered shame. <laughs> If you think of the story of the prodigal son, do you remember what happened when the son returned to the father? How the father placed a robe around him? That robe identified the father because it was a special robe. That community would have known that robe because it would have been brought out in, um, special, on special occasions. So when they saw that robe, they knew whose it was. The fact that he'd put it on his son who was all dirty and filthy after living with the pigs. He was covering his son's shame. And he was putting his identity on his son. And that's what God does for us. It says that 
in the, in the Old Testament, it says that our sin makes us like filthy rags. Our sin is unclean. But what God does is he puts his identity, he puts his robe of righteousness around us and covers our shame. And he gives us his identity. The second stage is you, he would take off you would take off your belt. Now, a belt was not to hold up your trousers. Your belt was to hold up your weapons. And what you were doing is you were taking off your weapon belt and you were saying to your, your partner, here is my strength and all my ability to fight. If anyone attacks you, they are also attacking me. Your battles are my battles and mine are yours. I will fight with you and I will help defend you and protect you. Um, I've shared this with the Kingdom Life students actually, but we had, um, I think it was Guy Chevreau actually, he came and talked to us a bit about um, covenant relationships and he said that relationship is like a bit like um, a tag ring. Um, when I was younger, <laughs> when I was a little girl, I used to sit with my dad on a Saturday afternoon and we used to watch the wrestling. <laughs> it's just a, a father and daughter thing. <laughs> and um, in those days, they had um, wrestling called tag wrestling. I don't know if you ever heard about tag wrestling, but it was two guys um, who um, wrestled as a team. But only one of them was allowed in the ring at a time. And what they would do is two of them would be fighting or wrestling. And when one of them had had enough or didn't quite have the strength to finish the other one off, they would tag their partner and he would come in and finish the job off. <laughs> so it's a bit, all right, that's a very simplified picture. But it, that's what it's like. You know, God says, I'm your tag partner. You know, you will be in struggles. You will be in situations where it's really difficult for you. But I am your tag partner and you can call on me at any time and I'll get in that ring and I'll wrestle for you. I'll do it for you. So our battles are his battles. It says the battle belongs to the Lord and he fights our battles for us. Thirdly, you would then cut the covenant this would involve taking hold of an animal and you would cut it from the top to the bottom. So there were two halves. Now, if you cut an animal from the top to the bottom, there's an awful lot of blood. <laughs> but you would separate the two halves. You'd have one on one side and one on the other and all the blood would be in the middle. And then with your covenant partner, you would stand back to back in the blood and then you would do a figure of eight around the animal carcass and then come back and face each other. And what you are saying is, we are dying to ourselves, giving up our rights to our own life and beginning a new walk with our covenant partner unto death. Each half represents us. We would point to the bloody animal and say, God, do so to me and more if I ever try to break this covenant. So you were, you know, saying that an awful thing would happen to you if you even attempted to break that covenant. Next, you would raise your right arm and you would cut it. Both parties would cut make a cut in their arm, or in their palm, actually, and they would mix blood. So the two palms would come together, and they would do that. And they would say, as our blood intermingles, we believe our lives are intermingling and becoming one life. We are putting off our old nature and putting on the nature of our blood covenant partner. We, too, are becoming one. They believed that life was in the blood. So literally, if you were transferring blood between the two of you, then you were transferring your lives. The lives were intermingling. You were becoming one. 
Then you would exchange names. And I would take the last name of the partner into my name, and my partner would do exactly the same thing. This happened when God um, spoke to Abraham, made a covenant with Abraham, who's first Abram, and God breathed his name into Abraham and became Abraham, because the ha of Jehovah went into Abraham's name. So therefore we know that God was making covenant with Abraham. So we would exchange names. Then, through the intermingling of the blood and the putting the hands together, we'd be rubbing it, it'd be quite sore, and it would make a scar. And that scar would be a permanent testimony to the covenant. And that scar would bear witness to the covenant we've made. And if anyone tried to harm us, all we have to do is to raise up our hand, show the scar, and say, there's more to me than meets the eye. If you take me on, you're taking him on as well. Protection. Then we would give the covenant terms to each other. We would say, all my assets are yours. And all my money, all my property, and all my possessions are yours. Now, in a lot of circumstances, this was quite an unequal exchange. <laughs> As in our case with God, you think that if God's saying to us, all my assets are yours, all the money, all my property, all my possessions are yours, what do we have to give him in comparison? Nothing. And what you are saying to your partner is, if you need any of them, all you've got to do is ask. What is mine is yours, and what's yours is mine. And if I die, all my children are yours by adoption. And you are responsible for my family. I think that's lovely, actually. Because God's saying that under covenant relationship, he will look after your family. I'm not saying that they are that that covers their decision to come to Christ, but it does give them protection. And I think that's really good to know when your children are perhaps not walking with the Lord. Because you know that there is an element of protection over them through the covenant that he's made with you. That's really good, isn't it? I think that's lovely. So if I ever get in trouble financially, I don't come and ask you for money. I come to you and say, where's our checkbook? <laughs> Amazing. So I don't go begging. I just say, where's the checkbook? Because what's yours is mine and mine is yours. So we would list our assets and we would list our liabilities to each other so that both knew where they stood. Then we would eat a memorial meal. We would feed each other. In marriages, that's uh, the wedding ceremony, right at the very beginning, we have a wedding breakfast, don't we? But actually that is a tradition because we are feeding each other. We are actually doing this memorial meal in a wedding. That's where the wedding breakfast comes from. And what we're doing is saying that this is symbolic of my body and I'm putting it in you. This is symbolic of my lifeblood, which is now your blood. I'm in you and you are in me and now together we have a new nature. Then we would plant a memorial tree. This would be leaving a memorial to the covenant because we always want to remember it. We would plant a tree and we would sprinkle it with blood, with the blood of the animal that we have sacrificed. And now, right at the very end of the ceremony, we are known officially as friends.
Now, as I've read those things out, I'm sure you've been thinking, ooh, this rings a few bells. When Jesus was talking in the New Testament, when he was here, a lot of this language was actually used. That was deliberate because Jesus was coming to show us the new covenant. So God made a covenant in the Old Testament. He made a covenant with the people of Israel. And this covenant he initiated and he gave a set of, of laws, you know, the Ten Commandments, and the people had to obey them. And out of that uh, obedience came their identity. But this didn't work because the people rebelled. And it was very difficult to lead um, a life of obedience. They found it very hard. And God knew that this actually wasn't going to work. And he knew that he had another plan that was going to make the covenant much better. And in the Old Testament, we're told on a number of occasions that God was going to make a new covenant with his people. And if you look in Jeremiah 31 and verse 31, it says, The day will come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with um, the people of Israel and Judah, uh, sorry, when I make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah, this covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife. Marriage, again. But this is the new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people and they will not need to teach their neighbors nor will they need to teach their family saying you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will already know me says the Lord and I will forgive their wickedness and will never again remember their sins. So God was going to make a new covenant with the people not where they had to obey first and then know their identity this new covenant was going to come that it was God initiated again but out of their out of our identity we then are empowered to obey because our hearts are changed and we actually obey not because we have to but because we want to because we love him so much and we know our identity that we are his sons we are his children, and he loves us so much, and we're in this covenant relationship with him that we want to obey him. It says that um, our hearts are circumcised when we come into that covenant relationship with him. Do you remember I talked about the scar? How that they rubbed their hands together and they could show that scar and say, look, this is my, my covenant relationship. This is proof of it. When we come into covenant relationship with God, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and circumcises our hearts. It cuts our hearts. And that scar, even though we can't see it physically, is there spiritually. And that scar is a permanent reminder of the covenant relationship that we have with with God. And when Satan comes along and tries, tries to have a go at you, and when you're in all these battles and you're in all these bad situations where it's really hard, you can say, look, there's the scar. The scar is there on my heart. That's proof that I am in covenant relationship with God. And the Holy Spirit testifies to this. The Holy Spirit makes that um, be revealed in our hearts. So, for uh, one covenant to end and another to begin, as I say, covenant, blood covenant was until death. So there had to be a death for the old covenant 
to no longer be in operation and a new covenant to come in its place. So as we were uh, reading earlier in that chapter in Luke, Jesus talks about fulfillment of the covenant. And that's what he did. He fulfilled that first covenant and he brought it to an end because he died. But he also brought in the new covenant through his death as well. So his death, actually, was um, important for both covenants. It ended one and fulfilled one and fulfilled the second one as well. We, a covenant was required where both parties would agree to give up their own lives in death and become one in a new life. And the only way that both parties could be represented was through Jesus. Because Jesus was the son of God, so he represented God, and he's the son of man, so he represented man. So he could represent both parties, so a covenant could be made. And he himself became the sacrifice. Remember that I said about the animal being split in two, two equal halves. Jesus was actually the sacrifice to enable it to happen. When Jesus began his ministry, he decided that he was going to be baptized. And I, I've often thought, and I said this to the KLS students, why did Jesus have to be baptized? Because he was the son of God, why? And the reason is that he knew that he was that representation of the son of God and the son of man. That he was going to be the representation for both parties. And he knew that right at the start of his ministry. And he came to be baptized. And remember, John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John knew that he was actually going to be that lamb. And Jesus was baptized. And in baptism, in full water baptism, the person stands in the water and goes down under the water, which represents a death and is then raised up again and what Jesus was saying is that I am willing to stand in the place of man and as the son of God I am willing to be that sacrifice and I will die but I will be raised up again and that's why baptism is so important for us it's not just an act that sounds good. It's really, really important because actually it's an act of covenant that we do when we become Christians. And Jesus said that everybody should be baptized. He said, believe and be baptized. The two were always together. Because what it is, is you are identifying with what Jesus did. And you are saying, I am entering into that covenant relationship with Jesus. So I am becoming one with him. And I am becoming one in his death and one with him as he rises again. I am putting to death myself. I am dying to myself. And I am becoming a new creation, a new person in Christ. So it's not just a testimony to our friends. It's actually a testimony to God as well. It's saying, I am really serious about this. And this is what I am doing. This isn't just a decision I have made lightly. I am giving my whole life to my covenant partner. And I, I am dying to myself. And I am being raised in new life with him. So I think it's wonderful that we are going to have a, um, a baptism service on Easter Sunday because it's identifying with him on the day that he was risen. I think that's lovely. That's really good. So let's go back to this meal, this covenant meal that Jesus is having with his disciples. 
And he's having it at Passover, which in itself was a meal, a covenant meal. And Jesus was saying, look, I am fulfilling everything that was said in the Passover. He, if you noticed in that passage, he took two cups. What, there are a number of cups that are taken during the Passover meal. And one of those cups is a cup that nobody drinks because it is for the coming one. It's for the Messiah. But Jesus took that cup. And as he took that cup, he was saying, I am that, that one. I am the one that was coming to make a new covenant. I am the coming one. I am here. And he drank it and he shared it with his disciples. And then he took another cup and he broke the bread. Now in the Passover meal, there is a bag, an embroidered bag with bread in it, which is in three pieces. And these three pieces, the Jewish people thought, represented Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they always eat the middle one, which represents Isaac, because they thought it talked about sacrifice. But if you think about it, Isaac was never actually sacrificed. But Jesus takes the bread, and I'm I think he probably took that middle piece of bread to say, I am the sacrifice. I am the sacrifice that is going to be made. But he took that bread. And what he was saying is, it's not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what those three pieces of bread represent. So when you go over that ceremony, you can see how Jesus fulfills blood covenant. We become one with him. We identify with him. We exchange names. We're Christians. We're Christ people. <laughs> We've exchanged names. We are children of God. When you're a child, you take on your father's name. We are children of God. Remember that memorial at the end where he planted a tree? Well, after the Passover meal, Jesus planted a tree, really. He died on a tree, and that tree was sprinkled with blood as a permanent memorial to the covenant that he was making. So this new covenant... What is its terms? Well, the terms are that he will love us and he will give, he's given himself completely for us. And everything that is his is ours through Christ Jesus. He's promised to love us forever. It's an eternal relationship that can never, ever be broken. What is it from our point of view? Well, God says, I'll take all your liabilities. I'll take all your sin on myself and I will become sin for you. I'll forgive you all your wrongdoing, all the wrong in your life, and I'll remember it no more. I'll take all your self-righteousness and give you my own righteousness, which is pure and holy and acceptable to me. You give me your robe of sin and I'll clothe you with my garments of salvation and my robe of righteousness, which is my pure life blood poured out on the cross for you and we'll exchange natures. I'll put my spirit in you and I'll bless you with all spiritual blessings. You'll be part of my nature. You can become part of me and I'll live in your heart and my house will be your house. You can feast at my table 
I'll be a father to you and adopt you as my own son. You will reign with me forever and have eternal life with me. This is my free gift to you to show you that I love you. If you enter into the covenant, you'll be known as my friend. Isn't that wonderful? Absolutely wonderful. So, communion. We take bread and we take wine to remember this covenant relationship. And communion is there to remember what Christ did for us, to remember that covenant relationship. It's to perpetuate it. It's an ongoing relationship. It wasn't something that happened way back. It's something that's very relevant now and will be way into the future. It's an ongoing relationship, never to cease between Jesus and us and also each other. Because as we take bread and wine, we are entering into a covenant relationship with each other. In 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about the body, and we are the body. We are united with Christ, and we are the body of Christ. So therefore, we haven't just come into a covenant relationship with God. We've come into a covenant relationship with each other. Now that, I think, is more challenging. (laughs) Because do we treat each other as covenant partners Do we treat each other as covenant partners should? In 1 Corinthians and chapter 11, Paul talks to the Corinthian church because there's a bit of trouble there. Just a bit. (laughs) And they were becoming a little bit pompous and a little bit know-it-all sort of thing. (laughs) In 1 Corinthians 11, he addresses their, their um, Lord's Supper that they were commemorating. Now, what they used to do was they used to add this on to another feast that they used to have as Christians, which was called the Agape Feast. It was a love feast. So it's a bit like a bring and share lunch. <laughs> and as in bring and share lunches, sometimes, I'm not talking about here, of course, but if you have a, <laughs> a bring and share lunch, you get sometimes you get the people that come to the front and load their plates like that. And actually what was happening was that the people that were left to the end had nothing. There wasn't enough for them. And what Paul was saying is that is not honouring each other. You're just thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about your brothers. Now he wasn't just talking about food. He was talking about their attitudes, how they were just thinking about themselves and not thinking about each other. And actually, in the, ne- in the next couple of chapters, he talks about love, and he talks about self-giving love. And this is all sort of tied in together, really. He's saying that as covenant partners, we need to have that self-giving love that Jesus had for us, that we need to not think about ourselves first, but to think about others first. In fact, Jesus said that I give you a new commandment. Do you remember what he said? He said, you are to love each other just as I have loved you. You are to love each other in the same way. And you think about how Jesus has loved us. He gave himself for us. He gave up everything for us. And what he's saying is that we should be that same person to somebody else. Now, I think that's a challenge (laughs) because sometimes, yeah, I get it, but sometimes I don't. And what Jesus is saying, I want you to get it all the time. I want you to love your brother more than yourself. I want you to put them first. I think think we're really quite good at this in this church because we're very good at honoring each other. It's one of those things that, um, you know, we talk about a lot. And I think we've got hold of honor quite well, but we can do better. And actually, the challenge is going to be when it's not, I think I know everybody in this room, the challenge will be when somebody comes through that door 
who doesn't smell very nice, who's been living on the streets, who needs something from me, like a, maybe a bed for the night, am I prepared to do that? Am I prepared to give him that bed for the night? Am I prepared to love him in the same way that I love each one of you and I love myself? That is going to be the challenge. On a Friday afternoon, there have been a number of people who have given their lives to Christ. They are our brothers and sisters. They are the body. If they walk through that door, now, I, when I was preparing this, I thought that one or two of them were actually going to be coming tonight. But if they walk through that door, will I accept them in the same way that I accept you? That's being honest, okay? And I, I'm sure that is a challenge for each one of us. So we need to treat each one of us in the way that we would like ourselves to be treated, if not better. So communion is to remember. Communion is to perpetuate. It's an ongoing relationship. It never, it's never to cease. And it's to renew Remember that story in, um, that I read about of the, of the Jewish woman and the story of the Middle East? There, there was a, a relationship that was formed there between her and the Arab guy. And it was something that was very relevant to now. That covenant was made only a few years ago, relatively speaking. So we need to form that, that kind of relationship with our brothers and sisters. It should be a relationship of unity, a relationship of love, and a relationship of loyalty. So am I, am I prepared to be unified with people in the body? Am I prepared to love? Am I prepared to be loyal? Am I prepared to stand up for them? Am I prepared to judge people rightly? To discern rightly? Not to have any preconceived ideas, but to see things from Jesus' point of view. There is one loaf, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, that we all partake of. There is one loaf and there is one body. We must discern the unity of all who partake of that bread and we all have covenant relationship with one another. So as we take communion tonight, I want you to take that to heart. <laughs> to remember what Jesus has done, to remember that we are in covenant relationship with him to be really, really grateful for that, to understand what that actually means for us. It's amazing, amazing love. Ama absolutely, it's mind-blowing when you think about it, that God should make a relationship with us. The all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient God should make that relationship with little old us. We want to perpetuate it. It's an ongoing relationship with him. My relationship with him continually grows. I'm not prepared to stay where I am. I'm not prepared to say this is all the revelation that I'm ever going to receive. I want to grow. I want to become more like him. I want to have his heart. I want to have his heart for other people. As I approach people, as I give words of knowledge to people, as I pray for healing for people, I want to have his love for them. I want to see them and experience that love in my heart that he has for them. I want to see that. I want to really grow. I want my re revelation to be deeper. And I renew my covenant relationship with him and with the body that I am part of. So I would like to say from here that I am prepared to renew my covenant relationship with you. And I want you to know that I want to love you in the way that Jesus loves me. 
and I want to love you in that same way. And I am sorry if I have judged you. And I'm sorry if I haven't been there for you. And I'm sorry if I have taken you wrongly or if I have said a harsh word about you, maybe to your face or maybe to somebody else. I am sorry. And I think that's something that we all need to do to each other as we take communion. Because it says in Corinthians that actually people were becoming sick because they weren't taking communion rightly. They weren't prepared to be together as that body, to love each other in that way, and to be in that covenant relationship with each other. They were becoming sick. We do sozo ministry in this church, and part of sozo ministry is forgiveness, and it's really, really important that we learn to forgive and we forgive ourselves. Because actually when there is unforgiveness there, that has a real hold, not just on us, but on that other person. We know of a, a lovely testimony of um, Chloe Glasper, actually, who was very, very sick when she was younger. She, was, she had rheumatoid arthritis, which was so severe, she was in a wheelchair and she was a young girl. And she was told she would never, ever have children. And um, she would probably die very young and she would be disabled for life. Then God showed her that she needed to forgive her father for things that had happened to her when she was young. Now that was very, very hard for her. Very hard for her to forgive him. But she did. And miraculously, the arthritis disappeared. And if you see Chloe Glasper now, she's a girl full of energy, boundless energy. <laughs> and she's traveling all over the world. And actually, she told us she is able to have children now, but she's chosen not to. But isn't that lovely? And God wants to do that for everybody. He wants to free them up. Unforgiveness can be a real bind. It can bind you right up. And it can restrict you. And I always think that, think of um, illness and disease as a restriction on a body. And I will often pray for freedom, for that restriction to go in Jesus' name. And that restriction is unforgiveness. So we ch must choose to forgive, to forgive each other. So bless you as you take communion. Mel, would you like to come and tell us how we're going to do it? Thanks. Thank you, Karen. That really puts a very different meaning.